Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome to another session of the Doctor's Lab with my brother and dear friend um, Dr. Khalid Greendeer and myself, uh, brother Dr. Abdelhaq Baker. And um, the, the subject today is one that I think is being discussed um, and has been discussed many times across many ages, but looking at how we are situated in the West as Western Muslims, I think it's a, a discussion that will continue for a, a long time. And we're going to discuss it from within a micro community perspective or delineation of um, sort of where we're positioned in the communities outwardly, but taking it to a wider macro context, which is very, very necessary. What do I mean by that? Many have seen um, the divisions that have been caused to varying extents and degrees by different delineations of Muslims, no matter which ones they are, saying that either cooperation can be with all and sundry, no caveats at all, or only with specific entities or like-minded, ideologically inclined um, people. So we want to look at that from its origin, the verse of the Quran, and what the Mufasi Ruin have said concerning that, classical and contemporary. And we want to look at it within a Western context, as we're living in a time, as Khalid and I have spoken many times before, or alluded to previously many times before, that we're living in a unique situation where we are living as minorities in the West, but the number of Muslims in the West can actually constitute an entire country or nation state in itself in some of the European countries. So we need to look at the thick of the minorities within this. And I'll put a disclaimer here. N neither Khalid or I or our scholars of Tafsir or Mufasi rule. So we will be referring to some of the scholars, but also we'll be discussing from our um, experiences and perspectives whether the verse that, and the ayat that we're looking at can be taken to mean some of the understandings that have led some to work with others or not, as the case may be. And with that, I'll hand it over to my brother, Dr. Khalid. And walaikum salam to everyone who are here, B, um, Shireen, and those of you who've just joined us, Logo Creations, and the rest of you. Walaikum salam, rahmatullahi barakatuh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all, protect us all, preserve us all, forgive us all, and guide us all, and bless us with uh, truthful speech and that which pleases him. So, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, doctor, that it... it um, it's something crucial for us, um, and especially in the context of us being Muslim minorities, you know, in the West. But what's interesting is we always qualified in the West because we're from the West. But the same issues you find in the East, for example, even in the context of Ethiopia, for example, where you have a huge Muslim population. And some would argue that they're even the ma majority, but they're just discounted and you know and they're marginalized and what have you but you'll go to places in Ethiopia where it's like a Muslim land but they're still 
Muslim minorities in that context. And they're still facing some of those similar issues. And even in other societies that are pluralistic, they have uh, some of those issues. And Yemen being a case, Yemen is very different than Saudi Arabia because Yemen, you have, you especially when they had a stable Sunni-oriented government, you know, you had those issues. And that's one of the things that allowed Sheikh Mukbil, Imam Mukbil, to speak so freely from the minbar, uh, because there was a lot more, there was the claim that there was supposed democracy and there was freedom. So there was allowed a lot, a lot more space to speak and the pluralism. Mm -hmm. So learning to what extent you can cooperate in piety within in these contexts, you know, it, it definitely varies, as you said, from different nation states and different nations and so forth on to what extent. So that that's uh really the challenging question that we're trying to look at. Absolutely. And what we'll do, Khaled, because everything has a context, as we know. No. And I think it's important. I was looking at some of the tafsirs today, and Jazakallah here, we'll talk about um, Brother Imam um, Ali Davis and the lecture that you shared, where he touched upon this, which was, was very forthright as well. But if you don't mind, I would like you to um, refer to, as you're the Arabic speaker, um, that ayat in Surah Ma'idah, Ayat two, the, the whole of that ayat within which this wording comes. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the the Quran in front of me, but I, I can quote the 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 shahid. You could say the the main part of the ayat which we're concerned yes. with, which will Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Bikitabi al mubin wa ta'awun ala biri wa taqwa, wa la ta'awunu ala ithmi wa udwan." So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "And cooperate all of you together in righteousness." And 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 God fearfulness, uh, taqwa, mm. and do not ta'awan in sinfulness and uh, uh, enmity, you know. So, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. So, so, uh, really, such a that I in and of itself is minhajia, you know, it's a minhaj, it's a methodology in and of itself that you know we're ordered because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the imperative form, what ta'awanu. You know, it's like command the command form. You cooperate to awan ala biri wa in in piety and righteousness. Wala to awan, and then there's a prohibition. So there's a an an, an affirmation from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala or a a command, and then there's a prohibition in the same verse. You know, Allah is commanding us with righteousness and and taqwa, and He's forbidding us from enmity and sinfulness so that affirmation so saying and you're going to go to the messerine which is afdal yeah no mashallah so that affirmation there and then that negation from um uh, enmity and transgression and mm. what preceded those particular words and I'll, I'll read the english rendition to place the context in time yeah and in place but as we know with the quran that it's not necessarily restricted um to that so it says begins here, oh you who have believed, okay, do not violate the sanctity of the rights of Allah or of the sacred month or of the animals brought for sacrifice or the garlands that mark out such animals or those who are traveling to the sacred house, sacred house seeking bounty from their Lord to and to please him. But when you come out of Ihram following Hajj or Umrah, then you may hunt. 
Do not let your hatred of those who prevented you from reaching the sacred mosque lead you to transgress. Help one another in righteousness, righteousness and piety, but do not help one another in sin and transgression. Fear Allah, for Allah is severe in punishment. So that was the whole ayat, the English rendition of that, speaking about the sanctity and the rights and hajj, um, when you can hunt, when you can't hunt, not to let the hatred of a people lead you to transgression. There's so much that can be said just around that as a topic in itself. But Allah saying here, in reference to those who once prevented them, the, the Muslims from going to the, the, the harem to perform the rites of worship and then help one another in, in um, righteousness and piety. And what I found quite resounding there is there's a specific con context that Sheikh um, Saadi speaks of with regards to this being within the context of addressing the Muslims specifically. Mm. However, we see from ulama, um, Kurtubi, as Ali Davis re referenced, speaking about this in a more general sense of understanding as well. And that's uh, scholars of the Salaf we're speaking about, and we're speaking about contemporary scholars like um, Saadi. We also have Sheikh Wasila um, Abbas, who I remember sitting specifically with in his home and asking him about this ayat. And um, I asked him with a point of um, negation and affirmation, in which mm -hmm. I said, with the work that I do in counter-radicalization and living in the Western society and the common threat of extremism, terrorism from all sides and the wider society wanting to come together with those who could help fight and repel this evil. And I asked him, is this ta'awun al-abir wa taqwa? And he said, well, what else is it? I said, then I brought the point because you have those from our co-religionists, specifically the Salafis, that narrative that was prevalent throughout the 90s, and I would say was pro pro um, proffered, offered by some of the students of knowledge and scholars, that it can only be, this ayat can only be with and between like-minded co-religionists with the same ideological mm. and methodological delineation. Mm. Uh, in other words, Salafis. No. And he, he basically said, that's not the case. That's not the meaning of the ayat. Okay, whereas some would say it is. So I think it's important that we discuss this because what Sheikh Wasila expounded to me, what we hear from Imam Kurtubi, um, I believe uh, to be the correct, wider contextualized understanding that we need to look at as a reality. So insofar as our existence in the West, but that does not negate that specific focus when addressing the Muslim community, as Allah does. Um, in the ayah, <clears throat> original or initial um, import. Now, um, now, if you want to pose a question about it, because I, I, I was listening, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I'll continue. And you know what's, what's interesting? Well, I guess I'll, I'll make a point. What's interesting is, in two two points, is in my research in my PhD thesis as well. I was dealing with this uh, in, a, in a subsection, you know, to what extent, uh, you know, with uh, us as Salafis specifically finding ourselves in Western countries, to what extent uh, do we uh, apply, you know, this cooperation, you know, so that that has, you know, I guess it's a twofold question or twofold issue as far as dealing with pluralism. Uh, in the society, in the greater society with non-Muslims, and then also with the 
with other Muslims. Okay. And, and actually I looked at the issue of, you know, those, the, the fatawa that caused great controversy that of course you're very familiar with, uh, that the brothers in Medina.com had, had translated many years ago about voting, you know, about, and, and basically what Sheikh Wasiullah said, Imam Abdul al Abad as well. And, and emanating from Imam, uh, Imam al-Albani, Imam ibn Uthameen, and so, uh, so that was a very controversial thing. And this is one of the things that, as you said, our co-religionists, uh, the brothers at Maktaba Salafiyah or what have you, that they took exception and went uh, ballistic about and used this as a means of saying, look, these guys are promoting elections. They're promoting this. They're doing this. And and I think that was a very short-sighted view on their part, perhaps even a lack of knowledge. And Allah knows best. I'm not trying to accuse anyone of ignorance, but uh, of why these what these great imams were saying. Imam al-Albani wasn't saying elections are permissible, but he no. said this is like out of a necessity. And the Sheikh, same with uh, Imam uh, Allah Abbas, you know, they they were very clearly saying no, this is not permissible. But under this circumstances there may be a greater uh benefit or it's a uh, the lesser of the two evils right okay? it's a lesser of two evils if you know that this muslim uh this person is going to be a representative and and more less harmful to muslims then from that bab okay and and this is in general what they were saying so so it, it, you know it shows us the nuances of of these issues and that's in in relation to our participation uh, in a as Muslim minorities in a Western society or what have you, or a pluralistic society, and then as you you alluded to, you know those issues of, you know to to really what extent. So I, I think from this arises three points. You know that it that when we're talking about this kind of cooperation between, for example, Ahlus Sunnah and various other sects. You know, we're talking about other sects or jama'at. Then we're talking about it depends upon the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, the issue itself is going to make a difference. It's not like we, you know, it's a difference between us, uh, you know, cooperating because there's some non-Muslim who is making cartoons in the society. And, you know, that harms all of us as believers versus, you know, we want to all come together you know, and do da'wah and each one take its turn to present their methodology. Okay. That's a type of ta'awin and some people mm-hmm. do do mm-hmm. that and they participate in those kind of things. So those are two different issues. Right. Then right. another point with that is uh, that also we have to look to the extent of the necessity, you know, what, what the, 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 uh, yeah, the necessity anyway, the, 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 the you know, is it is it something that is a real necessity that we need to speak about or need to cooperate with, to the extent that we are uh, subverting, I guess you might say, or this principle is a bigger principle in this context of, you know, the cooperation to subvert not cooperating with the people of Bid'ah and Desires, because there's no doubt we know that that's an asl of the of the deen to not, you know, people who are innovating in Allah's religion, it is not permissible to to be with them and, you know, and as we have all those narrations of the Salaf. And then the last point is to what extent. That's another issue because a mm-hmm. lot of people will say, hey, yeah, let's do it and it's all good. We're going to sing Kumbaya. We're going to go march between the two um, 
and the 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 priestesses, the le lesbian transformers, transliterates, trans trans transers, whatever's, and we're gonna sit in there. We're gonna get caught up and get caught like that. Why? Because for them, there's no boundaries. Their right. their methodology. They, they they go to an extreme. Yes, we want to stand for justice. Yes, we want to represent Islam and show that Islam has a concern in the communities. But to what extent? We can't compromise Islamic principles and Islamic methodologies in order for what you think is a greater cause of justice. You know, so, you know, there's so much yeah. to unpackage there. No, and, and, and sticking with the last point, and then we'll come back to Muslim Brothers um, uh, question, but exactly what you're describing in the latter um, categorization, that is where we need to be clear. That is a type of Muslim Brotherhood, melting pot, uh, theological, ideological, methodological um, approach, mm. which is the one that should be warned against. Because what that means is, okay, we will cooperate with everyone else who have different ideological delineations, who have different motives that are antithetical to the, to the religion. That's from the non-Muslim perspective, mm. or from a point of bidder from those who have got those deviations in the deen. And it doesn't matter if all of these causes are being furthered because we're all joining together as a caucus to strengthen the the the, the some parts of all of us to reach an ultimate objective. This in itself is what you're speaking to is a problem and that's where boundaries um, cannot be overstepped. Mm. That, I think we need to make that clear. That is what the Muslim Brotherhood have done through the ages in order to move to, to achieve agendas. But we're going to move that to the side because what we've seen is our co-religionists, specific Salafi entities, um, not only the cult um, uh, entities, those who are close to us as well, Anything that resembles cooperation in any shape or form in the West, immediately this latter description and classification that you and I have just spoken about is what they jump to, therefore stifling any um, momentum to cooperate on key issues which this verse and the elucidations of the scholars have confirmed we can cooperate on. So, for example, let's, we're talking about how can we do this in the Western context? So let's say, for example, education, the challenges that are taking place with Muslims at the moment regarding educating our children in schools and the LGBTQ agenda that has been driven really aggressively. Okay, mm -hmm. now we see that there are, there are Christians, we see there are Jews, we see there are Muslims of all persuasions speaking out against this and they're not seeking to further their ideological delineations as per what we've just described is uh within which we cannot cooperate because everyone's driving those ideological perspectives but it is a common concern education that is unadulterated to a greater extreme of things that are alien that are creeping in because it's been driven by a government agenda and those who subscribe to this new way, the LGBTQ agenda. So cooperation upon Berawa Taqwa is relevant in this context, just as it's relevant when we see societies that we emanate from, that where we live, are under the threat of terrorism and extremism, not only for Muslims, 
but from non-Muslim entities and far right and what have you, Christian and whatever. Just like, and I'm going to bring a third uh, um, example, mm. we saw with the George Floyd and the murdering of black people in the West, the US and the, the UK. And we saw all persuasions, white, black, brown, Muslim, non-Muslim, coming together to protest in the peak of COVID, when everyone should have been in lockdown, to say this has got to stop because of what was witnessed with the George Floyd and many other incidents that we are all too aware of before social media was able to capture that. But then we have those saying, with all the examples I've given, you cannot cooperate upon righteousness and piety in any of this. We can only cooperate with fellow co-religionists co with the same ideological persuasion as we have. And if we look at the effects of that, the weakness and the, the um, apathy of Muslims in the West is such that we are witnessing particular challenges to our children, their future, the like of which we didn't witness when we embraced the deen or those of us who've been Muslim since childhood grew up amongst. So I gave those three examples because I think they're very important. The one um, concerning education, the one concerning the society being under threat from terrorism, the, 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 the last one being uh, concerning uh, an ethnicity aspect, racial aspect with regards to racism. And these areas within a context, Western context, are realities we must address. And if um, Hassan can put up Muslim Brothers' question, and I'll stop on this point and hand back over to you, Khalid, but Muslim Brothers asks, very good question. Do you think that perhaps a misunderstanding and more importantly, misapplication of this same ayat led to some Salafi communities, unfortunately, becoming isolationists from the wider Muslim community? And the answer to that, Muslim Brothers, absolutely. It absolutely did. It was a misunderstanding, a misapplication, and then there was the scaremongering to the extent that they, we became insular. And not only did we become insular as communities, we ghettoized ourselves as community. We became ghettoized. As Ali um, Davis said in that excellent talk that you shared with me, um, Khalid, he said, and the only people who are being affected look like us. When you look everywhere else, you see progress. You see societal progress, you see economic progress, you see educational progress. But because of this misapplication of this ayat, and if you, Khalid, um, as Ali gave the example, this um, organization that were allowing free medical service to services to um, the community, and you had this small cultish group, elements of them, badgering individuals not to even do that. And I will say how far this goes, um, um, Brother Khalid. No. To such an extent that individuals who needed, um, I know them personally, some have since passed, who needed vital treatment and were advised medically. And mm. there were those offering them to treat them medically. Mm. Cults now who are not experienced in this field brought narrations from and ayats from the Quran bringing a, a, a likening of doctors in the conventional field of medicine being similar to the Khawarij mm. in rejecting or not putting at the forefront as a priority prophetic medicines, saying that because of this, they were akin to the Khawarij in rejecting the truth. 
And when you looked at this particular narrative and papers were written on it, and scholars were approached concerning this, and we saw what emanated from that is because they wanted the cooperation and subscriptions to their new homeopathic range of medicines that they were advising individuals to go to and that to take this conventional medicine that could save life. Some had cancer, terminal cancer. They said that if they went in that route, that this was sinful mm. and akin to disbelief in behavior. Wow. Mm. And I know individuals' wives, and obviously the cadres with Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, but um, the individuals neglected the advice, the medicine, the offering of the family members who were doctors, and on this occasion, um, to go to travel to Germany and for a treatment they couldn't afford for a week, which was needed for maybe six months to a year. They've since passed, others have since passed, and these individuals are still touting this as a form of, if you want to cooperate, it must be with individuals like us within this context, shunning conventional medicine, even though you've got Muslim doctors experienced upon the Sunnah, even if they weren't upon the Sunnah, saying this is not the only way you need to combine the prophetic medicine, you need to combine conventional medicines. And they brought statements from Sheikh Saleh Fawzan and the Kibar Ulama. But this is the danger of misapplying ayat like this in order to keep individuals isolated and ignorant of a greater reality. No. Yeah. I think there's a there's an issue there too, um, especially that particular scenario you're mentioning. You know, this shows a, a great danger of people making fatwa without knowledge, without the right to do so, without being muftis, without having that knowledge. So, for those individuals involved in that, they will receive a great, you know, they're accountable to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala because you don't want to make a fatwa You don't want to make a fatwa without knowledge. Okay, so that's one thing. Another point. I think one of the things and why I'm going to say the issue is a bit more nuanced, not that scenario you mentioned scenario, but just this greater issue of this ta'awun al-abiri wa taqwa is because the application really is ijtihadi, meaning that this is going to, you know, you can't say, oh, the Prophet did this, you know, so we can open clinics and, and with the Buddhist or, you know, whatever the case may be. No, it's, it's not like that really when it comes to the application and to the extent of the, of the cooperation and what have you, these are Messiah Ijtihadiyah for the scholars, meaning maybe it's a bit different. The context, it is different uh, in America to Ethiopia. You know, both of their Muslim minorities we're talking about, they're, they're, they're the issues that, that arise in their societies and to what extent cooperation can be meted out. So we definitely have to, I think it's very important to be, not be so black and white in that we, we need to realize these are issues of ijtihad. So some scholars will look at that. I know some scholars that tend to be more um, stern about a lot of these issues and I can, and I've heard and seen some of their fatawa and so forth where they will close the door to a, a great extent, whereas some other scholars will be more nuanced. And I might take the more nuanced view because I think it might be a more, in my view, knowledge-based going with the Adilla that we have more leeway in certain issues. So, so what I mean is 
is we should be cautious also of faulting because uh, of of being too severe in faulting people. I'm not talking about that issue you mentioned, but about the extent of Taoan. So, for example, some guys say, in fact, when I first came back some years ago, uh, there was a, an Egyptian sheikh locally, and he said, you know, and I was looking for work, and I, you know, was had been studying, so I wanted to kind of work in Tao if possible. And he said there really isn't much, but he said there is a basically a Sufi Ashadi guy, you know, who's really big and grown here, and I can talk to him, and maybe you guys can. I said no. I said no, no, I can't. Uh, -uh. that's not no, and. Even though, you know, it might have been employment. I could have been working in my field. I could have did this. Maybe if it if it would have even, if he would have even accepted that as well. So there, that was an element of ta'awan ala bitter with taqwa. What is greater than calling people to Islam? But what are we, this guy's going to be saying, hey, a law is like this. You know, we, we can't even agree on some very fundamentals in Islam. So I saw no way that I could personally uh, feel comfortable cooperating in that uh, in that way with him. But there are other issues, as you mentioned, greater Masail, bigger Masail. And the point I want to emphasize is these are new issues, what they call fiqh and nawazin. These are new issues. They're also, um, a, they are uh, new dilemmas, new, new issues and new big problems that the ummah, maybe the, the whole world may not have faced uh, prior so, of course, there's going to be, you know, those who are more cautious in their approach and those who and then there'll be those who might be way too broad, you know, in their approach. And and that's why it's important. It's important to define this extent of of, uh, you know, what we mean by cooperation. You know, some people say, hey, you're drinking coffee with that guy. You're cooperating with him in Dawa. You know, we saw a video and you were giving him salams. That's cooperation. You cooperate with the people of bid and desires. No, there's no cooperation. You gave the guy salams. You drank coffee with him, you know, and you don't even know the background of what the extent was. We happen to run each other in the same coffee shop. So, you know, these things need to be, each issue has to be looked at from a scholarly perspective. And we have to realize these are issues of ijtihadiyah, you know, even the thing with the fatawa of uh, universities and so forth. And even myself, and I know for a fact, a lot of Salafi du'at and imams struggled when the, you know, we all live that or have that, you, you as a black man from the UK as well, you know, we experience that as a as a big part of our history in, in, in defining who we are and everything, you know, and, and the, the oppression that we have dealt with as a people. OK, and even internally as Muslims, even as Muslims from other Muslims. Now, with that being the context. I think it was a big issue when the, the Black Lives Matters movement or uh, came on the scene and became real popular and it was growing. And we also saw the the that these issues were being publicized more. They were getting the media attention. Oh, another black man's killed. Just matter of fact, another a week or Two within the past two weeks, another uh, black man was killed. Uh, for matter of fact, he was the good guy. He was a security guard. He carried his strap. Okay, he held the bad guy who was robbing in. Uh, you know, held him for the police. When the police came, they shot him because they thought you know maybe he was the bad guy. So they killed a secure a religious security guard 
who's a you know um uh, you know a um a model citizen and a model person in the community religious guy always going to church and this and that and the other and they killed him you know because you know because out of fear you know there's there's circumstances around the case you know we don't want to be too black and white but the point is is a lot of the duat were kind of at a loss like what do we do do we you know i mean myself i didn't even really speak on those issues until it became so much in our face because you you really don't know you know here you know we are when we really look at the uh, the texts we've been studying all these years and so forth you know that that are giving us the importance of hijra and and being um, and establishing that Muslim identity and being away in the bara'a, the distancing yourselves. And there's where kind of that alienation comes from, too. There's no doubt. You don't find that, you know, from the progressism stuff. The progressives want to assimilate. But Salafis and even extreme uh, tekfiris and others, this is something we share in common, that they want to, their goal is more removing themselves from the society. And maintaining the Islamic yeah. identity. So there's no doubt there are some overlapping things. And, you know, so these are major messiah. How to deal with it, it isn't just as easy. So that's why I don't like, you know, hindsight, it's easy to say. And even to now, what does that mean? When we, uh, you know, I, I believe it's a it's a bigger formula. And I've talked to my colleague, brother uh, 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 Talib Alexander, many times about this issue, that it's, it's a constant Dawa. So for us, what like Sheikh Ali Davis and Sheikh uh, Abu Sajid and those guys are doing, building in those communities, reaching those people, the forgotten ones, as Malcolm talked about, those people are forgotten. We're forgotten people. That's just the reality from everyone else. If you look, I, I can go to Walmart and new Syrian brothers and sisters, they might not even give me salams. If I give them salams, they look at me with suspicion. You know, some people have asked us, when we are in Mecca and other places, are you Muslim? Brother, this is the haram. You see me making tawaf, you're asking me if I'm Muslim? Are you, what happened? You mm. sick? You know, mm. so, you know, my point is, is these are real uh, realities. So how to deal with this in being in the Islamic context, these are new uh, issues. Sorry to ramble on, but yeah, these are new masail. Okay, no, you've, you've raised some very good and uh, interesting points there, but I, I, I have to say at this point, there's some areas that I'm going to come back to, but I will disagree with you with regards to some elements of what you've said concerning the Salafi rationale um, overlapping to an extent with the Takfiri rationale and the progressives being, yes, they're about assimilation, but I would say that the Salafi with a small s yeah. rationale is not about bara, it's not about being away, okay? If we're looking at existing within the West, we're talking about integration. Integration and assimilation are two totally different elements. Assimilation, no. That means losing identity and, and what we've seen happen with some of the Asian communities that have moved into the West, the, the Arab communities that have moved into the West. They've completely assimilated where Muhammad becomes Mo, where Aisha becomes Sheila or Julie or Rebecca or whatever, that, what happens there. We're not talking about assimilation but neither are we talking about bara and what you mentioned was interesting from the point of there's that concept of the scholars always talking about hijra but not all of the scholars are always talking about hijra because we know the reality of hijra for many who've tried it okay 
has been on the whole, on the whole, unsuccessful because in the lands that they've tried to go to, especially in the, the Gulf region, Hijra is not accepted there. You are on a residence visa, you're on a work visa. So I disagree. Why? Because the reality is altogether different. And the other aspect where I would have a, a respectful disagreement is that when you're saying yes, from the, if we're looking from the, the perspective of we're supposed to be free of the people and wanting to make Hijra and everything like that, then that constitutes or contributes, should I say, to part of the problem why we are being reactive and looking in hindsight than being proactive. We are upon a dean, we are upon a religion, upon a dean that is proactive, that is empowering. There's some areas where we have to react in, in, in this instance. But one of the things with the George Floyd, for example, I had no issue and many others had no issue. Uh, Mufti Munir and the brothers like this. In, in Even that is after years. That's after years. That's only when it came out on the scene. You know, okay, no, that's the only person I can think of, but that only came. What I'm saying is 10 years ago, were you guys talking about these issues? Maybe you were, but you probably be the only one. No one would dare. Yes, I okay, no, I hear you. you, I hear you. Yeah, from an American context, I can't speak about that history. I know from, from the 90s, we were on the front lines when the riots were taking place, speaking, confronting confronting the authorities on the front line, literally with as Muslims having physical confrontations without non-Muslims being there, storming police stations. I was at the helm of that when they took one of our individuals. So we're saying that it wasn't that we, um, that I think insularity in which we're like, no, we're free from the society. That started off when we had the idealistic understanding and we need to shun the society and everything. But when we looked at our reality in Brixton, black Muslims, North African Muslims, um, white converts, and we said, these are our people. These are our people. They're non-Muslim, but these are our people. And in alienating ourselves from them, that was going to cause more of a problem, uh, negativity surrounding us as Muslims. So we had to then start looking, how do we cooperate? And this was the, the, the irony. We didn't have fellow co-religionists frowning upon us working or engaging and participating with the non-Muslim wider society in a variety of activities because they said, oh, we can make the excuse, it was a reality, that this was dawah. Mm. At the moment there was cooperation with other Muslim entities, not on the basis of furthering their ideological causes and that we're all in this melting pot together, but because they were better positioned in some areas. And we have that in the society. And this is what brings me on to the point that I wanted to speak about. You're saying it's an ishtihadi matter. I agree with you. You say it has to go to the scholars. I would bring it one step back. No, it needs to go to those knowledgeable in our community, our elders and those who have studied. Okay, because we've gone to scholars and I'm not frowning upon the scholars, but how many times, how often have we gone to the scholars who have not known our reality? And we have taken and transposed edicts that were suitable for their environment, brought it into our Western environment. And what it's done is it's caused dysfunction. OK, and the dean is not dysfunctional, but the context in which it was transferred and tried to be implemented within our context and our environments was what caused the dysfunction. So now it's got to be from our elders who are experienced and established in the communities. And it has to be from those who are studied and have a connection with the scholars, but emanate from the West. And this is where I say we can start looking at particular categorization. So do we cooperate on a socio-religious basis with other Muslim entities? 
and I would put, I would proffer, I would offer and suggest, if it means that it's on the basis of what you said, that there's a Sufi here and there's you and both of you coming together to give dawah to a particular individual on this socio-religious perspective, then no, because he's going to call to ideology and speak about Allah in ways that are blasphemous, blasphemous. So that can't happen. If it's a socio-cultural context, if it's a socio-economic context, then we need to look and say, okay, is it specifically that? And can they further something where we are limited as a community, where we're positioned in society, and they're more, they're stronger, they're in a, a better echelon in where they've got experience in dealing in that socio-economic aspect, and they're ready to work with us because we might have that pool of human resources that can fill and they don't have it, but they have the infrastructure that can facilitate the human resources. Then we can consider this is something that can be done because it is not promoting ideological premises where we are recruiting um, for people to join our communities, our groups or whatever. So I would say care needs to be around the socio-religious aspect very clear hear what i'm saying here social religious yes social economic and if the social economic is therefore to let's all make finances so that we can promote our causes then again we have to say okay hold on a minute now because what you're promoting we don't agree with but if there's a common cause there's a common good that is needed in the short term and the long term we cannot let those detractors throw a curveball and bring it and say, oh, you're Ikwan if you do this. Oh, you're Ikwan if you do that. That cannot be the case any longer. Um, sitting, having a coffee with an individual. I might sit in a cafe and this individual might be Sufi. This one might be um, Hanafi or whatever. But we are talking about, for example, like what happened with me in the 90s. There was the issue of halal meat. So we, we need a halal food authority. We need to come together so that we can make sure that abattoirs are um, uh, pro providing the meat that we need to be providing. So the individuals sitting around me, they weren't all Salafi Tamam and like, yeah, we're going to do this. Because what we've seen with us from the Salafi community, we are not um, positioned in its entirety in such positions of influence amongst the wider Muslim communities. We just aren't. And my theoretical funnel model showing where our positioning is when it comes to combating extremism and everything like that is proof of that. And my research shows that across West the West. There may be some um, uh, members and elements among us who are positioned in such um, a hierarchy, if you like, of society. But that's not carte blanche for the Salafi community. In contrast, we see the Sufi community positioned in all sorts of um, levels and tiers of society, middle class, upper class. Uh, and that doesn't mean now we say, oh, we want to be Sufi or now we need to go to them or whatever. However, if there are those elements where there's a common aspect, where it is not their ideology, it's not socio-religious, but it's socio-cultural, it's educational, it's halal food, it's the rights of our women and all of our women wear hijab and everything like this. And we see that they're positioned in an area where we are not, then we have to say, okay, we cannot bridge this gap 
is there a platform and a forum where a social, economic, social, cultural, social, educational advantage can be there for all the Muslims without furthering specific ideological causes? Because again, we are positioned differently in society. And for us, for example, my argument in my PhD, as you well know, is that I said, when we're talking about fighting extremism, when we're talking about theology, no one is better positioned and closer to the problem understanding it than the Salafis. And my final model, if you see the two-dimensional, as you come down to where the, the, the threat is greatest, the most effective is where the concentration is, it's the Salafi communities who know how to effectively combat, diminish, and thwart the extremist threat. The other communities, Muslim Brotherhood, Sufis, Diobandis, Tabliki Jabat, they cannot compare or compete in any shape or form in that area. And do you know what, Khalid? When I was in the UK in 2018 and I went to a mosque, I didn't know what mosque it was, and I walked in and it was these old um, Nashamandi individuals that we used to have clashes with in Croydon Mosque and everything. And the amazing thing happened is Ramadan, I went to do my salah, for, I'm not going to sit afterwards after um, Fajr, I'm not going to sit because they're going to do their thing covering their heads and everything like that. Mm. But they, re they remembered me from when we came to Deen. They came to me and they said, we've heard of the work that you're doing. And they embraced me. And I was mm. like, oh, what's going on here? Hands right. down. And they said, we want to say to you, Jazakallah khair, like because it. you, the communities, you, we've seen what you've done to combat extremism and we've been hearing about it. They recognise our positioning in society. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say now we go to Hamza Yusuf and hug him and say, ah, oh, you went into the White House. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm not yeah. saying that. But no. we have to acknowledge if representation yeah. is there and there can be some ta'awun where there's no ideological delineation, I'm repeating myself, then our context and reality is different to what ulama are talking about within their own paradigm. Jamil Jiddin, I will agree with a lot of what you said, but I will fundamentally say you're incorrect when you said about integration and so forth. Because Islamically, that's my point. And that was my, my point here of why there's a tension. There's always going to be that tension. It is this fundamentally between Islam or Iman and shirk or Iman and disbelief. It's always going to be the tension. Mm. Someone who's a true muahid, we find ourselves in that position, okay, as far as the, 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 the inability to make hijra like we want to or this and that and the other and live a comfortable life in Muslim societies or whatever the case may be, all the various reasons people have for not making hijra or, you know, the lack of acceptance or the residence permits that does not negate the, the, for a lot of scholars in Islam, the history of Islam, the obligation or the recommendation, even the scholars. I don't know any scholars. I don't, I haven't, you know, from Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah that say, Hijra uh, is not recommended or something. You know, the le least they say, they say, okay, yeah, that's great if you can do good work in those societies, you know, and you can do Dao in those societies. And maybe for you as an individual or a group of you, this may be an obligation or whatever, or a great, greater good for you to stay there. But mostly the push is the, is the Hijra because this was the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, And this is really the Sunnah of Islam, that Islam... Uh, 
you know, we find ourselves in this position because of the large amount of Muslims, because of the lack of places to make hijra. Comparatively so. So, but, but what I want to say, but what I want to say is, yeah, we don't. Uh, I think we find ourselves. So I, I would say in the wording, you know, we find ourselves, and we don't want to ghettoize ourselves, and we do want to uh, integrate. But it should have the head of, of Dawa. It should be because. That is from the deen. It's it's you can't really get around all those ayat in the Quran and the context. Yes, the takfiris are extreme with it, but still, the you know, these are some of the fundamentals. Like you go back to those tefasir, all the tefasir you're gonna quote from, or that you wanted to quote from. You go back to whoever when it comes to those ayat to the sahaba of the Allah. There is that bara'a, there is that distancing themselves. From the people of disbelief, from it's just that's fundamental of Islam. That's a fundamental yes. part. So, so wait, 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 let me finish because you had a long, long one. So I agree with a lot of what you say, but that I say is fundamentally incorrect because that is what the evidence of Islam. The tension is we find ourselves in this scenario. So how do we navigate? And that's what my research. I was. I even have a chapter. Muslim minorities, Salafis as Muslim minorities face a whole series of different problems and challenges as compared to their counterparts living in a Muslim country. The experience of everyday life as a minority brings Muslims to develop practices, compromises, and considerations meant to cope with secularism that imposes itself on them. And that was a quote from Roy. Some examples of common challenges faced by Muslims in the West are social decadence, non-Muslim relatives that can exert pressures upon converts to revert from Islam, un-Islamic environments that at times may pose challenges or even become hostile towards Islam. Anyway, we have a whole host. We don't need to talk about all our issues and the things, but we are, I think we, we, we have to represent. So it's nothing wrong. You're Salafi and you donate blood. There's nothing wrong with starting the clinic and doing things for the non-Muslims. And, and that's a source of dawah, feeding the poor. They see this beauty of Islam. Yes. And fine. If you're a lawyer and you're Salafi and you're a doctor and you're Salafi, that's great. That's good. But that is not really the goal. The goal of what we see from the son of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi his sirah and what we see in the whole history of Islam is that if it's not hijra then it is a a an, an activity of of uh of dawah of representing Islam and trying to transform that society but it's not really I don't I, I don't like you know integration I don't think that you know and you may have a different meaning behind it but that's one thing the 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 second point uh, this is a very important point. And this is something I bring in my research. And I'm trying to recall from your research. I know you've definitely come across this. Yes, we distance ourselves totally from those extremist techfiris. But we have to realize there are things we overlap with. Because it's mm. not everything they yes. say is, is wrong. So we do have to clarify that. We can't say we're more in line with the progressive. No, the progressives no, really don't. They destroy no, the Sharia. No, they, no, and I know you weren't saying that. I know you weren't saying that, but I'm trying to, for our listening audience. So we are, ours is the balance between the two. They're too extreme. But they, but where the aspect that they, they have, they even use our, some of our same books. And this is why the criticism of Sheikh Muhammad, Imam Muhammad of the Wahhab and many things, because those extremists use those sources. Right. They use those sources. Even I have so many quotes of ISIS uh, uh, figureheads and so forth saying, hey, Saudi went astray. 
You went away from the ideas of Muhammad and the Wahhab. That's why we make tech theater of you. That's why your scholars are this. That's why this and that and the other. You're not doing the thing. You should be killing and fighting and cutting heads off. You know. So this is their 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 leap, and that's where they go beyond the bounds. But their fundamental of uh, principle of that. No, we're not to be assimilating in non-Muslim society. We're not assimilating with kofar. Kofar needs to be called away from kofar to Islam. So they're. Uh, so, so that is something we would share as a a base principle, but it's just that they establish new furur, new branches from that, and extremism would sometimes even they begin with a new base because they're tekfiri khawarij like, and it, you know it branches out to their extremism uh, and other groups. So you know every group. Uh, mostly, mostly if it's a if it's a Muslim group then they have something of the truth with them. You know, they have something mm-hmm. of the truth. If we if we talk about Jamaat Tablik, which is not a sect, Jamaat Tablik is a group, a, ja- right. a jama'ah, yeah. which is, you know, for, for our listeners, you know, Khwana Muslimin, Jamaat Tablik, they're not sects really, because yeah. they don't share necessarily a common creed. The Mu'tazila right. is a sect. The Khawarij is a sect. Right. The Murjia is a sect. All yes. these groups are sects because they have a common ideology or a common creed right whereas those other jama'at which are new groups in his they share uh they might have sometimes creed but then sometimes they might be just comprised of different members with various creeds but they have this dawa program okay let's make khuruj 40 days go to pakistan and india for your sort of like a pilgrimage almost instead of hajj for 40 days and doing this and do dawa with no knowledge and call to these six principles for dial amal and blah 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 and on on and on and on that is their methodology that they share um why did i bring that up i'm not sure but leading no, out the point is alhamdulillah it's all relevant so Khaled, yeah. the point is when we're talking about integration now let's be very clear we're not talking about integration from um a western perspective and understanding of integration we're talking about integration that that in many of us we converted to islam in the west Hijra is not an option. Yeah. Okay. It's not an option. But if we're residing in the West, there's got to be a shift in paradigm of how we exist. That integration, that integration means that everything we're doing, the doctors, the scientists, the engineers, the nurses, everyone like that, the paradigm is that you are now existing as a Muslim, a British Muslim, an American Muslim within that society. You are already part and parcel of that society. So your integration is already there. That's a reality. It's already there. But now the premise upon which you were integrated naturally has got to be Islamic. What you're doing as an example, and we have the, the, through the annals of history, Asalaf and those who traveled, they went, they moved into those societies. They didn't necessarily preach, but by their example, they gave dawah. We see this in Indonesia. We see this across Europe. We see this everywhere. They didn't go preaching from the Quran and Sunnah necessarily, like that open, obvious dawah, kitab or sunnah. But through their moving into those societies, as minorities, some societies converted to Islam. Yeah. The Maldives, where I've been, and I know that example there. So this is what I, when I'm talking about integration, we're talking about an integration that already exists with people who are from those societies. We're not talking about those coming from outside, which we saw, because those who came from outside, let's be frank, 
when the Pakistanis moved to the UK, when um, Asians moved to um, uh, America and everything, they didn't come and give dawah. They came and assimilated. Yes. They didn't, some integrated, but um, the majority of them assimilated. We want to be, we're Americans and whatever America, America means, shedding the, um, shunning the hijab and, and changing the identity and names and surnames. We know that happened um, to some extent from those who left Muslim lands. I'm not speaking about those. We're talking about you and me and those of us who've existed. We were already, already integrated into society. Were we assimilated? Maybe the likes of you and me, as we got older, we weren't assimilated because we saw that that society was rejecting or challenging us because of our ethnicities. But we were integrated because of everything else we were doing there. We didn't have, even if you said, well, we practice Christianity, that's the epitome of assimilation. White Jesus, blonde hair, blue eye, jumping up and down and, and uh, all everything white and beautiful. And I'm talking about colour in that instance because that inculcation was there from slavery. So that was a simulation. Integration, I hope I've made myself clear on yeah, that. I, yes, I, I want to mention... You said about ISIS. The cross, yes, you said. And that's yeah. beautiful what you said. There are elements that resemble those of us, um, I'm going to say mainstream, those who... Um, follow the first three generations, mashallah, in the general sense, that's mainstream Islam. And there are some resemblance with those who call themselves progressive. And as you said, that's why the Surat al-Mustaqim is somewhere in the middle and they are at opposite ends of that polarization. So again, I say, Khalid, I, I think we need to look at what aspects of cooperation are there. And I've offered, I've suggested particular contexts, as I've said, socio-cultural, socio-religious, socio-economic, socio-educational, where it's time to come together. And I think Amina was making some comments earlier on that the Muslims have got to stop fighting. I think some, some of the, the Muslims, unfortunately, we know from uh, more closer co-religionists in the sense of ideology and methodology, um, thrive on splitting and separation as do other elements of Muslim factions as well. And this is unfortunate because what it is doing is it's showing the West, showing the West that we are unable to come together. It's showing the West that, um, that they can continue to emerge themselves, sorry, immerse themselves amongst us and petition particular elements to do their bidding, as we see with Quilliam, and other organizations, as you see with organizations there um, in, in America, where they will do the bidding from within the Muslim populace on behalf of the wider non-Muslim um, governmental apparatus to say those are the bad guys, those are the bogeymen, and to marginalize Muslims. And as long as there is no cooperation within some of the categories that I've given, this is going to continue. And what we also have to look at is that what we are taking from our scholars, I say our scholars, has to be looked at by those who understand our context, are from our environment, so they can look at it with a discernible eye and say, sorry, Sheikh, you saying that we can't cooperate with these people who provide halal meat and that we should continue to be vegetarian or whatever, for example, because there's no halal meat there. Sorry, that's not a reality we can live with. Um, 
some reject the people of the book um, argument that uh, we, we are living in society of the people of the book. You and I probably don't. I don't after listening to the arguments concerning that. But if we are doing this with the intention, with the intention of cooperating upon righteousness within the boundaries and parameters that Allah has legislated and prescribed and not according to partisan dictates that may have emanated or been developed upon statements and edicts of scholars, then we can achieve that. And we must work towards it, Carly, because until we solve this age-old problem in the West of the inability to work together upon righteousness, our next generation are going to continue to be decimated by all the forces and challenges that are there at the moment. We have non-binary Muslims now. We have LGBTQ Muslims now. We have those leaving Islam now. And they are using and mm -hmm. quoting, misquoting elements of the deen. And they're also embracing Western liberalism and frowning upon everything Islam. And there's no unified voice of cooperation from the Muslims to invite them back in to explain to them, to engage with them, there just isn't. Yeah. Uh, so much to unpack there. Like, one, and we talked about this in separate podcasts, about the, the scholarship that, okay, I at all do not fault the scholars in the least way. And, and I don't know, I don't think that was your, your thing. No. But again, I, I said it before, that a hukum ala shay faran ala that a part of making a ruling on something is that you have a good picture. So what I say is it's up to those elders. It's up to those people in those societies when it's a greater issue that's outside of their Islamic realm of knowledge. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. Then they need to refer to the scholars and give that right. experience and, and sheikh and have that going back sheikh in our societies like this and like to give those details so the sheikh can make a hukum. Because still with that element, that basira and that fiqh, they still have a better way of cutting through all the pace. Sometimes it might be our emotions. Sometimes it might be other things right. that are leading us. Right. So that's something regarding the issue of scholarship. There's the other point when you mentioned about the hijra, no doubt the natija, the end result of Muslims, all those Muslims coming to non-Muslim lands, what they did most, a lot of times, let me be careful about that. Okay. No, in many situations, we see a lot of people's hijra is sinful or that they are going for the dunya. They're mm. going for the world. Okay. A lot of the people, they weren't, especially Pakistani generations, Pakistani, uh, uh, and I'm not picking on my brother and sister from Pakistan, but I just want to say that they were not like, like the Somalis coming as from war-torn areas necessarily. Pakistan and India, they you know, were part of that colonial empire in the UK, for example, in the UK scenario. And then they, they're ones, you know, they were co-opted into the, um, into the UK and, you know, however, you know, related to the details of that history, they didn't, they weren't forced to go there. Was that something sinful? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best because it goes against a lot of the nasus. You are Muslim. You should live in Muslim lands and so forth, but you went to the UK because the pastures are greener, the dollar or the, the pound is stronger, okay? 
the end result, Allah still made a lot of good that came out of that, even though you were doing something wrong. So that's my point is, yes, the Muslims, they went to Indonesia and Indonesia, look at the, you know, biggest Muslim country and so forth and what have you. But that was not the way of the Salaf. The Salaf, were, when we refer to the Salaf, we're talking about the people of knowledge mainly. We're talking about when they talk about the Salaf. You know what I mean? Uh, when we say the Salaf, we're talking about the Sahaba, the Tabi'in, which about Tabi'in. They didn't go because they just wanted to do business and live in an. They they had the intent of dawah. That was their maqsid. And that's, you know, goes back to the Hadith. The Prophet said, in the Ma'amala bin Niyat, barely actions are tied to the intentions and everyone gets that which he intended. Therefore, he who migrates for Allah and his messenger has migrated for Allah and his messenger. He who migrates for some worldly gain or to take some woman in marriage, then he will get that for what he migrated for. Okay. So even from that migration, Allah may turn without all of our brothers and sisters from Pakistan and India having come to the UK, for example, you know, they brought cultural baggage, but they brought Islam. They built Masajid. You know, they, you know, in, in America, the some Lebanese and, and other earlier communities, they established masjids. And even some of those masjids were masjids of bid'ah and all, maybe some even kufr. But later they became places of real worship of the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, so they established it. That was the, the, um, the end result, you know, the right. greater... The great, uh, you know, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought from just more Muslims having to gather together to prayer. And then, oh, by the way, yeah, this is the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought this result. Oh, there's more people who women are covering. For example, one one criti criti criticism I've had with some of my Somali uh, brothers and sisters in Seattle. I say, mashallah, you guys, are, you guys have all these stores, Somali malls to the left and the right. Well, alhamdulillah, the image of the hijab is there, the niqab and stuff. But you're not treating the people around you very well. You know, mm -hmm. the people are not seeing you as good beacons in the community. You guys could be doing so much more in Dawa, but just those numbers and just those things, it also has an effect that there are people who might come and say, hey, there's a masjid there. So there is masajid. They established masajid. Right. They established duksiga Quranka, you know, the place to memorize the Quran. So they have these institutions, even if they are not being outward in their Dawa. So mm -hmm. that is kind of like a a side, a positive side result, you know, because right. the communities, their communities are still very insular. But then you call it. And last point I wanted to mention, because all the comments about Muslims stop arguing. Why can't we? When can we? I mean, this mm. is all beautiful. We all want this. Allah says, uh, 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 hold on all of you steadfast to the rope of Allah and do not divide. Allah commands us to hold to the rope of the law. The problem is the Muslims are not holding to the rope of the law. We can't agree. We can't agree to, to uh, there's many in Seattle, all over in South Seattle, South Seattle, SeaTac, uh, Burien, that's Somalia, Somali, that's Somali, Somaliland, you know, the biggest masajid there, uh, there in the South end. But anyhow, uh, the, the, you know, we're ordered and we know that we're going to split. If you face the fact, I don't say that you should embrace it, but you have to face the fact. We are not going to be united. Those are dreams, except for under a Khalifa or something. But mostly what we see from the, what Allah has mentioned, and that we follow the way of those who came before us. They split and they divided. So you don't want to be a part of negative splitting, but you cannot cooperate on innovation. 
So this is just a reality of Muslims. This is a reality. You got to face that. We don't want to be divided. We come together, as the doctor is pointing out, uh, for that common good in our societies and so forth. But you're never, the reality is, when the deal Bundys open a beautiful, massive complex and they want to raise money, they will never let someone who is non-deal Bundy teach in their place. And even if they give food baskets and stuff, you can maybe come and give some of the apples with them, but you will not have any influence in their society. They got it locked down. The Naqshbandis will lock it down. The other Sufis will lock it down. Yes, the Salafis will lock it down. Akhwana Muslimin, their ideology, or you know, they're, they're, you got to be on their, what they're upon. This is almost universal. That's not going to break. And, it's, and, and, and because these divisions are not, good divisions. What I mean is you it's impermissible for you to have these various ideologies. You have to have only the creed of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. That's what's yeah. accepted by Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. So if being from Ahl Sunnah, you are saddened that you're divided from your brother, but you cannot just take your brother and say, "Hey, we yeah, you can have a turn in saying that it's okay to worship the grave, and I'm gonna have a turn and say mm. that Tawheed, the worship of Allah alone, is is mm. is is what it's all about, and that's the point of life. You're not going to be able to sit to the table. That will never happen. That's what the Prophet Sallallahu said. He so, said so, it. So you're saying I think you're speaking to what we started off with, and Jameel. So that's why I wanted so, to say about the people who are saying that yeah, so why are we yeah, arguing? It's yeah. it's it's as as Khalid, Khalid has confirmed and we've spoken, and Dr. Khalid has confirmed that and we've spoken previously, there is the reality. The Prophet sorry, sorry, spoke sorry. the truth and he spoke about the 73 um, sects. Yes. This is an authentic narration through the different um, the, uh, hadith collections and different um, uh, sanad that highlight this. But that doesn't mean, Khalid is not saying this, and we're not saying this here, that we rejoice in our differences. Exactly. What we are saying, it is unfortunate. However, in order to come back to uh, what is the truth, we need to come back to what Allah and his Messenger وسلم, have guided us towards. And it's there in the Kitab and Sunnah. And while Salafis, mashallah, we, I hold my hands up, we have some problems in our manners, in the way we've conveyed things and, and the internecine fighting and the haughtiness and everything that's there. But hopefully you see in this engagement between the two of us, I love Khalid very much. We're both Salafi Tamam. We don't agree on particular approaches, but you'll see in I'm the right. Aqib, <laughs> And I'm right. And I'm right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you'll see with yeah. the Aqidah. You'll see hmm. with our attachment to the Usul and the manner. You'll no. see that we are we are both clinging and, and loving and wanting for everyone to see what that is remove our bad behavior remove what you're seeing from those who i attack um from within like a family the the, the cultish element which Khalid wouldn't call them that but the point of the matter is that we will not be able to come together and cooperate in the areas that i defined i i, I hope that's accepted in those socio-religious aspects that cannot happen because then it means endorsing and embracing ideologies, again, I'm reiterating what I started with, that are antithetical to this deen. That means that we say, okay, shirk is okay. Bidah is okay. 
as long as we are together. We have the ayah in the Quran where Musa returned. He returned. And yes, you're right, Apex Predator. We are all Salafi by default. Those of us who were saying that we refer back to the companions, the Tabi'in and the Atba Tabi'in, all Muslims would adhere to that. But then there's a specific specificity that the Salafi say, well, okay, there's a methodology that comes with that. There's an there's an authenticity that comes with that. And that's where you'll see the other groups start divulging and diverging and say, oh, well, no, 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 no. We're just, just the generality is what we hold on to. And this is where the problem started. When we look at Bida, when we look at the Khawarij, when we look at the Mutazila, we see that's where the diversion started, where they started going off there saying, yeah, we are Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah, but this, however, that. And this is where Ahlus Sunnah then needed to start saying, hold on a minute. No. Here are the demarcations. Here are the distinctions. Here is the orthodoxy. Here is the authenticity. So we're saying we do not have all of the societal infrastructure and apparatus and positioning where we can say we can cover every aspect and give you the complete toolkit to prosper in a Western society. But what we can say is that where we are positioned with regards to creed, with regards to combating the extreme elements, be it to the left or to the right, we are positioned very well there. We are knowledgeable of that. We are grounded in that aspect. And that's the heart. Now, as it comes to the limbs now, once we can see that someone's come away from extremism and they've been amongst our community, just like we used to do in Brixton. They may then say, right, we want to go out and get jobs, but you guys don't have jobs. We want to go into the educational field. You guys don't have education. We'll say, okay. And I like the example that Khalid gave two weeks ago when he mentioned um, they want to take Mukbil and these brothers who are saying, look, we, we, we're too far, we live, we're here. Can we go and study in this place? This is a place, we know the head of it is an enemy of Sheikh Mukbil and it's a place of Bida, but we are clear on the Sunnah, we are clear on the Asul and we cannot come to you, Sheikh, where you are, we are in a totally different city. And Sheikh Mukbil, one of the leaders of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah in this contemporary era, Rahim Allah, before he passed, said, go ahead and study there. So in the same way, we as Salafis, once we are doing the ta'awun, and if it becomes socio-religious and we say, okay, look, okay, we can't help you with education. We can't help you economically. We can't help you in this way. But you want to go and study here or this um, organization is going to give you a sponsorship to go and a grant to go and study in university and everything. And you're clear about their agenda and it's not that which you're embracing or subscribing to and you've made yourself clear. Tafadl, we will support you. Hey, group such and such. Here we are from this community. We know you're giving grants in this instance. We know you're giving medical here. We know you're helping students and, and, and that you're, you're sponsoring these students and everything. They come from our community. Yes, they're Salafi. They come from our community and they want to um, avail the grants and the support that you are giving. Um, we're here. What do you need from us? You need a reference. You need. This is where we need to be societally. If it means speaking to someone who's got the ear of government at a Sufi level, like I've had to do, and I've spoken to them, said, like, hold on a minute, 
You need to tell the truth about what we're actually doing. You need to stop talking against us as Salafis because this is all we're about. You know we're not extreme. You know that we're not, we fight the extremists. You know what our positioning is. You know our socioeconomic position. We're not asking, even asking you for money. We're just asking you represent and when you're representing the Muslims, don't just represent Sufi middle class who are on the same ideology as you. You need to represent the Muslims. And we are at the grassroots and we are the ones following up the rear in the problems that are happening in the community. You need to support. I've had conversations with Sufis who've got the ear of government in that area. This is where socio-culturally, socio-economically, socio-educationally, we need to look to cooperate socio-religiously provided it's not according to what Khalid has said where there's going to be a compromise and you teach your way one day we teach another the other day coming together for Eid how does that take place that's an act of religious worship who is going to give the, the sermon are they going to accept that it's going to be a creed-based one and the Salafi can give it and that we are the best ones and best suited to be given that of in, uh, so long as it's inclusive. When it comes to the sighting of the moon, what, are we of, on different faiths that we sight the moon differently? What is going to be the agreement in the regions that we are um, actually living in? Education. We want a provision for our children. You want to teach uh, uh, different various faiths, then you have to include Islam in, this, in the non-Muslim school we're speaking about. You need to teach Islam. And you know what? We've got teachers who can come in and teach the fundamentals of the deen the five pillars of Islam. We don't need a non-Muslim to, to teach it. And we, it shouldn't be one who you are suited to, oh, he's Sufi and we prefer Sufis that comes from the government. No, it shouldn't be that. Let's come to an agreement on this. These are the areas we need to look at. And the integration, be clear, it's not the Western concept of integration. We are already integrated. We come from these societies. It's an integration where the paradigm has shifted I'm repeating myself as we're coming to a conclusion. The paradigm has shifted in that everything we are doing has a premise of Islam and nothing else. Representing black lives, the cause, not the movement, because the movement has nefarious, nefarious um, ideologies and the, 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 the destruction of the family unit, LGBT, um, same-sex married, it has all of that. So when we say black lives matter, please, brothers, sisters, non-Muslims, add to that the cause, not the movement. If we want to speak about the Uyghurs, we speak about that. Kashmir, Palestine, we see um, the uh, white uh, minorities, who some will call trailer trash or poor, the poorer ones, we will speak for them because they shouldn't be marginalised because they come from a different socio-economic strata. We speak for these white communities as well. We speak for justice. We cooperate with them. Fadal <clears throat> Khalid. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> there, there was something, someone had a comment and I forgot, uh, I, I, it was a while back, but um, but anyhow, yeah, I think it's it's been pretty well articulated and that these issues you know it's issue by issue that will need to you know those things need to make derasa of those things for example like going back to that lecture uh sheikh uh, ali davis that he was mentioning about their clinic and we saw the opposition okay they they shouldn't even listen to that crazy opposition and i know they're not they're going forward but they have asked 
scholars from Ahlus Sunnah as well, just for the comfort of the hearts of the people, you know, maybe for just general guidance, Sheikh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and it's for non-Muslims and, and just people, the Fuqara and the Musakin, and it's a good platform for Dawah, and we're going to also be on the, under the umbrella of a bigger organization because they have the funds, they have the things. This is something khair this is a, a great thing, and this is not compromising the principles of the deen. So that's where, you know, it, that's why these issues take deresa. You know, they take studying each issue as they come up to be able to uh, to really have a body of work of fatawa, more fatawa that deal with the issues that we now face as Muslim minorities, you know, in these societies and, and so forth, and how we can move forward. Yeah. So that, that's yeah, really all I, I have to say. And I think that we've, I think, I hope that um, our brothers, sisters, non-Muslim participants who may be um, observing have seen that we've endeavoured to address this specifically around our own Western context and realities. There's a lot to um, take into consideration. Mm. And we're not just speaking from a esoteric theoretical perspective. We're speaking on this basis because work needs to be done. If it's two of us who've started, three of us, those of you who are in your own communities have started, we need to do this and we need to do it upon clarity because we are facing humongous challenges in the West and more so our children, more so our children. How many of you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, would have considered where we are now with what's happening with our children, the challenges they're facing, the fact if they speak for Islam, they mention particular terminology and they come under the prism, the, the spotlight of prevent if you're in the UK. They come under the spotlight of extremism in America. When we're using terms, khilafa, jihad, the akhirah, Jannah, Annar. These are terminologies and things and other language, Islamic language, that are now being weaponized against us. So we need to cooperate, but within the correct context, upon the correct platform and foundation inshallah and i think we can conclude on this um i know it's gone over an hour we see each other every two weeks and we feel we need to get everything in so um excuse us for going over an hour yet again we hope you found this um informative and inshallah beneficial i found it speaking with khalid and mashallah always beneficial oh, and we look forward to engaging and interacting with you in another fortnight inshallah so for me, salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Barakallah fikum. Wa fikum barak.